The Larry Hardesty Show on 98.7 ESPN. Some NBA. We do that with Jamie Harris of the Amsterdam News. Does a great job covering the Knicks and all things NBA. Jamie, how are you? Good evening, Larry. How you feeling, my brother? I'm doing great, partner. What's happening? Everything is good, man. We're, we're getting, you know, at this uh, time with an NBA regular season, people are starting to lock in, uh, stretch run. And so uh, Knicks fans will be pretty excited. Uh, looking at what the team has done, uh, there should be a lot of optimism. Uh, they're playing exceptionally well. Uh, they're playing, uh, you know, certainly as hard as an, an intense, Larry. And you watch a lot of NBA. This team plays as hard and as intense as any team in the league. And I think that's why they're looking at right now uh, surpassing the Nets any day now. Of course, they play Boston tomorrow. Looking mm. forward to that game at the Garden. Mm-hmm. But certainly, uh, I think it's only a matter of time before the Knicks take hold of that number five seed in the East. Jamie, before we lock in on the Knicks, just take me through – uh, last night with the 50th anniversary of the 73 championship squad. And a couple of things jumped out at me. Um, first of all, 50 years is a long time. <laughs> That's the first thing that jumped out at me. Um, just just looking at, you know, Willis Reed not being there and Dick Barnett. And you see, you know what you see? The, you, you just see... You just see your your past, Jamie. There's so many things that you remember about. Not you, because you were very young at that time. But there's so many things when when you, you watch that team and you look at that team and there's so many things that you know about and, and take it through your mind. It's, it's just, it's it's amazing to think that they haven't won <laughs> in 50 years. 50 years, Jamie. You and know, the other it, thing that jumps out at you too, gosh, Dean Memory Jr. looks just like his dad. You know, it's interesting. Uh, Bobby Charles and I were talking today, you know, and I was telling him how it, when you look at Dean Jr., who we, we know so well, uh, you, you see Dean Sr. And, you know, Larry, you, you, you and I have been around this team and this organization a long time. Mm. Uh, Dean Sr., uh, that was my guy, uh, very yeah. close to Dean, uh, you know, and so uh, it, was, it was bittersweet, uh, you know, seeing Dean Jr. there. Uh, and thinking about those memories with Dean Senior, of course, a legendary New York City basketball player. But definitely right, man. It was nostalgia, and it makes you think about, you know, your childhood, uh, falling in love with the game. Uh, this team certainly captivated the city. And 50 years later, uh, the players are still beloved. They, you know, here Phil mm. Jackson, you know, who the fans Except Phil Jackson. <laughs> uh, wanted to run out of town when he was the president. Uh, the warm reception that the fans gave Phil Jackson separating uh, his his tenure as the team president uh, as opposed to him as a player here and what he meant to that team. Um, you know, Earl Monroe, uh, who mm. you're very close with, obviously, Larry. Oh, absolutely. Uh, you know, Clyde, you know, who, you know, had a Hall of Fame career as a player and a broadcaster and is one of the legendary and most beloved figures in the history of New York sports. Um, just a beautiful moment, uh, well-deserved, uh, and I think it was something that Nick fans, young and old, whether you weren't around uh, for that time period and saw that team, uh, you have to appreciate. Yep, there's no question about it. No question about it. All right, Jamie, let's talk about this Nick team, and I don't know where to begin. Let, let's begin with, because um, we have, we've talked about Jalen Brunson and what he's meant to this team, and there's, there's no question uh, how great he's been. But doggone it, I'm going to have to do it. And I was one of the people that – I'm raising both my hands now, Jamie. I was one of the people that was ready to run 
um, you know, Julius Randle out of town. He has been phenomenal this season, and he was never better than he was last night. No, and I'll accept apologies for all those people who call me a Julius Randle apologist uh, when they were ready to run him out of town. And I've been a sports defender of Julius simply because uh, he was someone who came here, as you know, Larry, he was a consolation. When they signed Julius and Marcus Morris, it's because Kyrie and Kevin Durant signed with Brooklyn. Uh, that's who the Knicks had targeted Steve Mills at the time, the president. Uh, and so he didn't get him, so he went out. And he got brought Julius in and Marcus Morris in. Many people thought they were a bridge or placeholders to when the team did acquire uh, a superstar. Uh, what Randall has done, Larry, is, is amazing. And I just want the Knicks fans to think about this for a minute. At the end of his fourth season this year, Julius Randle will be a two-time All-NBA player. And I don't think anyone could have saw that, anyone, when Julius Randle signed with the Knicks. That is a remarkable accomplishment for anyone, but particularly for a player who essentially was brought in, again, you know, as a consolation uh, and just to be someone who the Knicks would hope could stabilize and bridge the franchise for a period, short period of time. And he's wound up becoming, Larry, a tremendous, tremendous basketball player. And I think the Knicks fans should be in many ways appreciative of him wanting to embrace that number one role. He's still not a number one. I mean, you know, there's, there's relatively few number ones in the league. He's not a number one. But his mentality is of a number one. He's embraced that role. And right now he has his team on the verge of making the playoffs two years out of the four he's been here. Yeah, he's had, he's had a nice season. And the thing I like about him this year, uh, Jamie, is the thing that jumps out at me. His turnovers are down. And really, when you think about it, that was probably the biggest criticism that Nick fans, I know I had of him, was just putting himself in position where he was begging for the ball to be stripped from him. And it always came up in key moments of the game. But now that you have Jalen Brunson to take some of the pressure off him, you can see the big difference. And his turnovers are down, and that, that, that's, a, that's a major thing. And just his attitude is better, Jamie. His attitude is better. Exactly, and it's also a function, you mentioned Brunson, uh, it's a function of Brunson taking a lot of the pressure and double teams uh, off of Randall. Uh, a lot of the double teams, if you look now, the Knicks are spreading the floor more. They're playing a more uh, modern offense where Julius is shooting more threes, but the Knicks are spreading the floor, so it's harder to double him. He's not playing in the box as much, and he's making quicker decisions, Larry. And as you know, um, you know that's important in the NBA. You, you don't have time to pound the rock. Uh, you have to make quick decisions, and he's been doing that. Uh, he's made decisive decisions. And, of course, Brunson, uh, having the ball in his hands as the primary ball handler, has alleviated the pressure of Randall feeling he has to make plays. And so he's in the perfect situation and role. Uh, and let's give Tom Thibodeau credit, man. A lot of people wanted to, you know, run him out of town. A lot of people thought, you know, Thibodeau ran an archaic offense, that he ran a very slow-paced offense. That's because he had to. That was because of the personnel. Uh, now with Brunson, he always talks about pushing the pace, uh, shooting more threes, uh, getting early offense, uh, taking good shots. But if the, if the offense calls for you to take an early shot and it's a good shot, do it. And so we see the pace of the Knicks has picked up this year, and I think that has suited Brunson's uh, rather uh, Randall's skill set. No question about it. Jamie Harris, my guest, sports writer for the Amsterdam News. This is ESPN New York Tonight, special Sunday edition on 98.7 ESPN. The other thing that you have to give, well, I think fans are a little easier on, on uh, Tibbs, Jamie, once you started playing the kids. I mean, you know, you, you started to see them get more opportunities. And, and 
with the more opportunities, with them being more successful, it of course gives him more confidence that he can stay with them longer. So it was uh, it, it's it's you give him credit for opening the door, but you also have to give them credit. You know the Grimes, the Quickleys, the McBrides. Uh, you know you give them credit for making the most of the minutes while they're on the floor because they know you don't perform, you're not playing, you're not getting off that bench again. Yeah, you know, and I want to dispel, uh, you know, which I have in, in, in some of my columns, you know, the notion and, and, and the narrative that uh, Thibodeau doesn't play young guys. You look at his career as a head coach. When he was in Chicago, that Bulls team was young. You know, Joaquin Noah, Derrick Rose, Taj Gibson, Luau Deng, they were all young players, and they were playing a lot of minutes. When he took over the Timberwolves, Andrew Wiggins, Carl Towns, those guys were young players, and they played. Uh, as you said, Larry, Thibodeau will play young players if, first and foremost, they play defense. You know, that's a prerequisite. You have to play defense, and you have to play hard. And so he will play young players, and we see, since he's become the head coach of the Knicks, he's had RJ playing big minutes, quickly has played big minutes. You mentioned Grimes. And so the young guys will play, and then this year he was playing Deuce uh, until the acquisition, and a great acquisition of Josh Hart. Mm. Deuce became part of that uh, nine-man rotation. So he will play young players, Larry, if they play the way he expects, which is first and foremost, play hard every possession and play defense. Let's talk about Josh Hart. He is a – he just – his versatility, Jamie, just jumps off the off – the, and I've seen him in Portland, but I haven't seen him like I've seen him in the first couple of games here. Now, I know he's not going to score 20 points every game, but his versatility, defensively, he's good – he can hit the three. He can go to the basket. He's a smart player. This might be one of the one of the the really really underrated pickups that the Knicks have had in a while. Absolutely, I concur. And it's interesting because you and I talk uh, ahead of the NBA trade deadline, and, and the name that you know I've referenced, and you also referenced the name was OG Ananobi. Mm-hmm. We thought, and he would have been an excellent fit, but the price is too high. Clearly, there were a lot of teams around the league that wanted him. Uh, Toronto, the asking price is too high, so he remained with the Raptors, and so the Knicks went out and got uh, Josh Hart. I think people were surprised, Larry, that uh, Portland traded him, but Josh Hart could opt out uh, at the end of the season. So I think Portland uh, looked at it as if, hey, we need to get some assets for him. We don't want to let this guy walk without getting anything in return. And so they got Cam Reddish, who remains a project, a reclamation project, uh, in a first-round pick. So they did. Um, receive assets for Hart, but the Knicks got the better of his trade, no question. He is worth a first-round pick for the Knicks. He is a typical Tom Thibodeau player. Uh, and Larry, he started 51 games, played 51 games, and started all 51 games for the Trailblazers this season and played 31 minutes. He is a starter. And so to have a guy who is a starter now coming off the bench, a guy, once again, who fits into the Knicks perfectly, he's a defender, uh, he's a guy who gets, you know, the, the, the loose balls. He's averaging eight rebounds per game, shooting 51%. Uh, he fit perfectly and seamlessly into this team. And we saw Larry, he's going to be on that floor to close games. And I think he's going to push RJ. Uh, I think it was good for RJ because now uh, RJ is going to have to, and we saw last night, he's going to have to understand. And you made a good point, Larry, uh, earlier in your show today. RJ has been trying to legitimize that $30 million a year contract. And he's tried to do that, Larry, on the offensive end. Instead of focusing on defense, uh, instead of taking good shots, uh, getting the points when they come. And I think, you know, he's probably now looking at it from the standpoint of, 
I'm going to have to begin to look more on the defensive end. I'm going to have to limit my shots. I mean, he, he's just not an efficient shooter. Uh, he's a mm. career 42% shooter. Um, and he, he's, he's someone who, Larry, is just not right now going to shoot a high percentage either from the field or from three. Uh, nevertheless, he can still be an impactful player. Uh, he just needs to, as you pointed out earlier, stop mentally trying to legitimize the contract and just play ball. Yeah. Just go ahead and play. You got you got paid. You're not going to take it back. <laughs> the checks are still going to clear. Money, bro. Just, play. <laughs> just play. But he's going to have to engage more in the defensive end line. We yes. saw last night uh, he played much better defense than what he has. And the criticism has been warranted. Uh, he's been awful defensively this year. And yeah. so um, he's going to have to improve on that end. But And I think he can. I think really with RJ, it's more mental than it is physical. Uh, and I think the acquisition of Josh Hart, uh, will help RJ and make him a better player because Josh Hart is going to be pushing him for those minutes, particularly uh, those closing minutes of games. And if he makes RJ Barrett a better player, it makes the Knicks a deeper team. And that's that's what's going to help them as they go into the postseason because, look, they're not the most talented team. They are more talented than they were at the start of the season. There's no question about that. And so, you know, with where they are, if, if they can find a way to finish, you know, in the fifth spot, you know, I think that gives them, you know, you give them a, a chance against Cleveland to do well in the first round. I'm I'm going to hedge my bets because I was out there talking a lot of stuff when they faced Atlanta a couple of years ago. Uh, Jamie, you saw what happened there. So I'm going to, you know, sometimes you got to be careful who you root for, who you ask, who who your competition is. So I'm I'm going to monitor it a little bit because I'm telling you that that top three of Milwaukee, uh, Boston, Milwaukee and Philly, they're no joke, Jamie, coming out of the East. They are no joke. No, and, 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 and I'll even uh, put a little separation between uh, Boston, Milwaukee, and Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Boston and Milwaukee right now are, are the class of the East. Uh, I think they're the two best teams in the league, period. Um, and, and so uh, the East, is it's going to be tough getting through those two teams for anyone who's going to try to get to the finals. Uh, Philadelphia, MB should have a chip on the shoulders going into the playoffs. Yeah. I mean, he hasn't gotten it done. Uh, you know, certainly for him, it's, it's all about winning a championship at this point. Uh, I think, you know, everyone, when asking to everyone, that, you know, many of the, the, the voters for the MVP are already giving it to Joker. I argue that Embiid right now is the regular season MVP simply because of what he does on the defensive end. Uh, mm-hmm. And his offensive stats, highly efficient. You know, he, he's right there at the top of the league in scoring. Uh, he's right there in rebounding. Uh, but for Embiid, the regular season uh, is now immaterial. It's all about what he's going to do in the postseason. And he doesn't have Ben Simmons as an excuse. And we love Doc. You know, Larry, you know, we've known Doc for a long time. Mm-hmm. But there's no more excuses for Doc and Embiid at this point. So they're going to have to, you know, show and prove. I, I just think it's going to be very difficult uh, to get through those beasts, man, because Giannis is, is to me, still the best player in the world. Uh, and Boston is just deep and loaded, and, and they're going to be very difficult to beat. So uh, as I agree with you, the Knicks, they, ideally, you want to get that five seed. You want to try to avoid Philly uh, if you get the six seed, because I think Philly will finish third. Uh, but you, you'll take it, whatever you know. Oh, sure, take, absolutely. Take, listen, Larry, you, the, what the, what the Knicks don't want to be is in a play-in, and mm-hmm. I think as it stands, the, you know, trading uh, Kyrie and Kevin Durant, Brooklyn was more fortuitous for the Knicks than anyone, because the Nets are on the decline, and thus the Knicks are rising in the East. So I think they will avoid the play-in, and so that's critical. 
Looking at the Nets from the outside, Jamie, you know, listen, I think Jacques Vaughn's done a great job considering all the turmoil and change of that team for this season. He even was able to get uh, Kyrie to focus a little bit before he left when he and uh, Durant were playing well. They were, what, 18 and 2, 18 and 3. So they, you know, they were playing well. But I think here's the tough part for them uh, they've gotten some nice role players. They've got a really good role players, but they need that person that, okay, we need a basket. We're going to him every night that you know that's the guy. And that's what hurts them this season. But I got to give them a little credit, Jamie. They were like wiped off the face of the earth Friday night, okay? Uh, Saturday night or Friday or Saturday. And then today, they even though they were down, they're down 18, but they fight back and they lose a buzzer beater to Trey Young in Atlanta. So they've got some fight in them, but I just, I, I don't know if they have enough to, to hold on to that fifth seed. And Larry, that was a putrid and inexcusable performance against the Bulls. Let's call it what it was. It was. Right? It was bad. You, 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 can't, you can't, you know, go down by 50 points uh, a, a, against the Chicago Bulls. And so that, that was alarming because if you look at their recent losses, uh, a lot of those losses have been blowouts, Larry, since Durant and Kyrie were traded. Now, again, today they competed. They lost. Uh, Trey Young beat them. Uh, but you're absolutely right. They're a team full of role players. They don't have the guy anymore. Uh, there's really no pecking order in terms of, where they're going to go through the final minutes. And that's what the NBA is all about. Where are you going to go in the final two minutes to get a basket? Uh, and, and they certainly don't have that. Jacques Vaughn has done an admirable job. I don't think any coach, uh, you know, could sustain uh, winning, consistent winning under these circumstances uh, that they put them under this season. Uh, nevertheless, man, I, I think that, you know, the Nets are a team that they're going to be a playing team. There's no question. Mm-hmm. I don't think they're going to finish uh, amongst the top six. And in the off season, you know, they're going to have to reset uh, and determine which direction they're going to go in. Because, uh, as you said, Larry, they're, they're right now, they're just a team that has very good role players, but they don't have a guy. Jamie, last thing. What are we going to do about this All-Star game, man? <laughs> Listen, man, maybe they, could, maybe they could play flag football, man. I, like the NFL, I don't know. Uh, they already was, did that. Was, you know, it's disgraceful, man. And uh, Adam Silver knows it. Uh, he knows that they're going to have to do something about it. Um, you know, it was – and, you know, and, and I'm glad that, you know, Jalen Brown, uh, the Boston Celtics, who I believe, Larry, will one day be uh, the head of the NBA Players Association. Mm, interesting. Uh, you know, you have LeBron James, Chris Paul. Those guys have carried the mantle. I think he's the next guy uh, to step up and lead the players. And so he said it. You know, listen, man, this, this was terrible. Mike Malone said it was terrible. And so when you have prominent players and coaches saying that, that sends a message to the league. They're going to have to reimagine uh, the All-Star game because dudes don't want to play. That was obvious. You know, it's mm-hmm. just, you know they want to relax, chill. They want to avoid getting hurt. And so, um, you know, it is a glorified layup line. And so they're going to certainly have to do something about it. Jamie, keep up the great work. We'll be reading you in the Amsterdam News. Thanks for a couple of minutes, my friend. Yes, sir. Thanks, Larry. All right, that's Jamie Harris. We'll get your thoughts on what Jamie had to say and what your thoughts are with the NBA, Knicks, and Nets. What are you thinking? 1 800 919 3776. We'll come back and talk to you next on 98.7 ESPN. The Larry Hardesty Show on 98.7 ESPN. It's ESPN New York tonight, Sunday edition. Larry Hardesty with you. And uh, we just finished chatting with Jamie Harris. And I'll say this. The one thing that you really, really enjoyed about you really enjoy about this team, right, is not only, as he mentioned, the pace and the hard work, but just the 
the way they're playing, you know, and 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 there's there's an uh, there's there's an unselfishness that you really you really enjoy about this team, right? You really you like what you see with them, and I got to tell you, uh, Mitchell Robinson being back is a difference. It is a difference now. It means that Jericho Sims' minutes are going to be almost non-existent, whether he had maybe four or five minutes last night. But uh, just what Robinson brings to the table. And last night he had 13 rebounds. Hardenstein had 10. So you, you had, you know, you had 23 rebounds from your center position. Okay? So, and I think Sims had one or two. So you had like 24, 25 rebounds. From your center position and defensively, somebody blocking the protecting the rim as a rim protector, that's what you need. And, you know, Tibbs was right. The jumping out with the Knicks scoring 42 points in the first quarter and 73 for the first half. I mean, this team is not going to, you know, with Jalen Brunson there, I, this team's not giving up leads like that now. Okay, they're not. They're not. So it's it's a much better team, and defensively, they're playing better. So once again, the question becomes, can they continue to play this way? All right? The consistency is the most important thing now. It's about trying to find a way to get into that fifth position and staying there. It's about not dropping into a playing spot. It's about holding on and... It, it's that's what it's about right now. It's about hanging in and holding on to that spot. Because as we were talking about, when you look, all right, you you, I mean, Boston and the Knicks will see Boston tomorrow night, and that's going to be that's going to be interesting. Okay, that's going to be interesting to see how this team performs against a, a very very talented Boston Celtic team tomorrow night at the Garden. That's what you want to see. But you look you look at those top three. Boston, Milwaukee, and Philly. I mean, there's four games that separate separate the three teams. They are the class of the Eastern Conference. There's no question about it. And so if you're the Knicks, continue to play well. You've already beaten Boston once this year. So you know they're going to be ready for you. They've got revenge on their mind. It's on your home home games on your home court. You got to show up. You have to show up. You have to be able to understand the level that your opponent is and the defensive challenges that you have. Okay? And <laughs> it's not going to be easy, my friends. It is not going to be easy. 1-800-919-3776. Your calls are next on 9870 ESPN. The Larry Hardesty Show on 98.7 ESPN. What's up, Tony and Bell Rose? You're next on 98.7. How are you, Mr. Hardesty? How are you? I'm doing great, Tony. How are you? Uh, not too bad, not too bad. I, uh, I'm an old guy. I'm 75, so. No, you're not. You're a young guy. Come on, Tony, stop it. You're a young man. <laughs> you're a young man. I wish, I wish, I wish. I go back way with the Knicks. I go back uh, to the old garden on uh, 8th Avenue and 49th Street. Okay. So I used wow. to go watch them there. <clears throat> wow. And this team does remind me of the Knicks from like 69-70 and 72-73 because mm. they play together as a team. Mm-hmm. They pass the ball around. They're Like you said, they're unselfish. It's a very unselfish team. And that's one of the highlights, I think. 
and I remember going back to, uh, to go and just to reminisce a little bit, uh, watching uh, Jimmy Walker and uh, Walt Frazier in the NIT wow. went against Providence against uh, Southern Illinois. Wow, sixty-seven, huh? I remember seeing. Wow. Yeah, I remember seeing that game, and I saw Bill Bradley's first game at the Old Garden. Wow. So I, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it back then. Yeah. And I had to even see it, a couple of games at the New Garden when the seats weren't that expensive. Actually, it sat almost courtside. It was like 10 rows up. Now mm-hmm. you couldn't touch it with a 10-foot pole. <laughs> but this team is enjoyable. It is a lot like that other team. Tony, that three-point is a big difference in the game now, huh? Oh, the Busher would have made a field day with the, that with whole the shot team. from the corner. That whole Nick team. And Jerry Lucas. Sure. They, would have, uh, they just sat there and they would average like 30 points a game. Yeah. Just alone, those two guys. You're right. You're right, Tony. Thanks for the phone call and, and putting things in perspective for us. It's true. That 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 young championship team, especially the 73 team, had the, that was their game. Pass and shoot, hit the open man. And they had a lot of guys who could hit jumpers. And, you know, Bradley was a deep shooter. DeBusher could shoot. Reed could shoot. I mean, all those guys could shoot. Um, so yeah, there is a there is a little parallel between that, and, and I gotta be honest with you, Tony. The Knicks are during this streak. See, that's I think is the difference from how they're they play they're playing now to the way they played before. Okay, and they are the assists have been up and the turnovers have been down. That's been the biggest adjustment, but they are passing the ball more now. And I think the games with Josh Hart, he he also is a good person to pass the ball and move, you know? And last night, uh, R.J. Barrett had some assists. I guess, like seven, eight assists. So you're starting to see that that passing thing is becoming, you know, infectious, right? You see more and more folks doing in this league, easy baskets. I mean, every time I turned around, I'm looking at the Knicks and, and Mitchell Robinson's dunking the ball off a of feed and nobody's going up with him, you know, with the, 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 uh, driving dish, driving dish. They, the Knicks killed them, killed New Orleans with that last night. So th- th- I really appreciate what you're seeing from this team, that that unselfishness that you understand that passing the ball is the way to go. Now, the question becomes, when the talent level elevates, as it will tomorrow night, in the game you hear right here on 98.7 ESPN, Knicks and Celtics, as that talent level elevates and the players are better and the defenses are better, okay, and they do a better job in trying to defend and clogging your passing lanes, how do you make those adjustments? How do you how do you move the ball even faster so that you can get your guy an open shot? How do you make those adjustments? And like I said, the Knicks have already beaten Boston once, and they they did not have Josh Hart and they did not have Mitchell Robinson. So this is going to be a really good test to see how well they've how well they've improved and can they maximize their production and their bench play. Okay, because Emmanuel quickly has been just tremendous off the bench against a, a team that's better than they are. A very talented team that is a matchup nightmare. Okay, they are. I mean, Jason, all the conversation about Joel Embiid being MVP, well-deserved. Nikola Jokic being MVP, well-deserved. Very quietly, Jason Tatum's having an MVP-like season, too. I mean, you know, you could argue, and unfortunately, because of the talent that's on his team, he probably 
would not be in serious consideration, not one or two, in the MVP voting. But he's had an MVP caliber season with what he's been able to do. And it's just him rising to the occasion. And so with him and Jalen Brown, those two guys, it's really, it's really not about the regular season. It's about the postseason for them. And to lock it in, it's about the finals. It's really about the finals for this Boston team. They've been knocking on the door consistently. Even when LeBron was here in the East, they were knocking on the door. Okay? And so the fact that they haven't locked themselves in and taken that next step in the championship game, that's that's what they have to prove. So getting there, obviously, is the most important thing. But then once they get there, they got to finish it. And they have not been able to do that. So that's the question when you look at this Boston team. And they are very good. And like I said earlier, uh, Jay Crowder added to Milwaukee. Uh, Bobby Portis has been hurt. He's coming back. Uh, you know, Giannis on the bench again today. But they find a way to win. They've won, what, 13, 14, 15 in a row. They continue to be just amazing. And they're, and they're able to do these things. Even they're able to win even without Giannis. See, see, that's the thing that would concern me. Is that they're they won, they won fourteen in a row. I mean, and so they have cut they've they've cut into that Celtic, you know, dominance in the East where they're just a half game behind Boston now. Uh so it's it's you know it's gonna be tough getting out of the East, my friends. <laughs> it really is. And so when you talk about the Knicks, that's why the game tomorrow night is so important because you want to see how they produce, right? You want to see how they play. And look, even if they lose, you know, you're not going to be happy. But, I mean, you know, when when your team has won five straight and eight out of ten are facing a Celtics team that's won three straight and eight out of ten, something's got to give. And if you can find a way to get that one tomorrow night, I'm telling you, that, that makes you feel just a little bit better about things. We'll continue our NBA conversation. Jason Kidd, not happy after today's loss. We'll talk about that next on 98.7 ESPN. The Larry Hardesty Show on 98.7 ESPN. Tonight, Hardesty till midnight on 98.7 ESPN. And listen, if it's just Luca. Well, you know, well, you know, these things happen. But he's got a co-guy on the team now. He's got a co-leader, Kyrie Irving. So these things are not supposed to happen. So this is going to be, and Jason Kidd is right. And it's uh, you're facing a Laker team that's on a mission because they realize that, um, you know, they're in, what, 13th in the West? They're out of the end. <laughs> they are out of the plan. They're not even, they are, you know, they're they're way out of the plan. Okay? They're way, way out of the plan. Not really way out. They're only a game out now. Because they've they've won three in a row and they're starting to put some wins together. And so what they're trying to do is they're trying to get into that look, they're trying to get into the playoffs. Okay. And so, you know, 
they've got 21 games left after today. And um, now what they're trying to do is they're trying to get into that, that number where Minnesota, Utah, Golden State, and New Orleans are. And I can see them, they may beat, they may get into where New Orleans is. New Orleans is next next game because they're struggling. They've lost three in a row in four of their last, uh, and lost six of their last 10. And so, and the way they played against the Knicks, mm-mm, mm-mm. it's not going to work. And they're awful on the road. They're 10 and 21 on the road, New Orleans is. So um, that's that's a major concern for them. But it just seems like, you know, now that Anthony Davis is back and LeBron is energized and they made some adjustments on their roster, they're starting to, you know, put some things together. So they have an opportunity now to get into that um, to get into that space and and, you know, make it make it make some make some noise and make some noise. Wednesday night, I believe, is the night that we are expecting to see Kevin Durant make his debut against the Phoenix Suns, with the Phoenix Suns, right? Not against the Phoenix Suns, with the Phoenix Suns, who are now tied with the Clippers for the fourth spot in the West. So you, you, I'm curious to see how that's going to work out. Okay, um, because you know you have a, a great point guard in Chris Paul. You know you've got uh, Devin Booker, who is an outstanding outstanding player as well and now you add KD to that so they should be they, they should be you know they should be really good they they really to me they've underachieved this season i mean i i expect with all due respect to what the Sacramento Kings have done and how they've played this year i mean nine games over 500 they've been consistent all year they've been they've been the big surprise for me in the in the west and in the NBA, did not expect for them to take that next step so quickly the way they have, and and they are they they played extremely well. So I mean, going into the season, I would have thought that Phoenix would have been ahead of them, but Phoenix has, has been up and down, okay, and and obviously you know they made the trade now for Kevin Durant. They traded a couple of their uh, bench players who have been very good for them, who have been very effective for them, and Cam Johnson and Mikel Bridges. And so those guys have been big time for, uh, you know, Phoenix and helping them with their deep playoff runs over the past couple seasons. And for you not to have those guys, it, it hurts. So we'll see what happens and how Kevin Durant is able to mix in with the with the offense and how that the adjustments that makes and what that does uh, for Phoenix's, you know, for Phoenix's success as they move on and try to, you know, get their opportunity to come out of the West. Uh, but I am, I, I'm just real curious to see how, because you only got, he's got 20, 20 plus games, right? Phoenix has 20 games left. So you got 20 games left before the postseason to try to get, you know, get uh, Durant an integral part of your offense. Now, look, here's the one thing about Durant. He's a, <laughs> he's an all world player. Okay. He can, you know, he's not going to hurt you. There's nothing he's going to do that's going to hurt you. He, he, he'll pick his spots. He'll find out where he's supposed to be. And when you have a point guard like Chris Paul, he's going to find you. So you'll be in great shape. You will be. So that's going to be interesting as to see how that uh, turns out. Along with Golden State. So the Warriors and Mavericks are playing right now on ESPN uh, against Minnesota. And 
they really need for Steph Curry to get back. They, there's no Steph Curry. There's no Draymond Green, and they're, you know, they're battling. They're battling against Minnesota right now. Uh, they've lost six of ten. Golden State has, so they're really just trying to hang in there until the guys come back and they can get a, you know, have a chance to put some some wins down the stretch, right, and see if they can get going and try to get into that, uh, try to get a playoff spot instead of a play-in spot, which is where they are right now. But it's, you know, the NBA is getting interesting now. It's coming down to the home stretch, and you really are looking forward. You really are curious to see what teams are going to do and, and how the final seedings are going to go. We talked earlier about Brooklyn. And, look, that loss to Boston was, I mean, to Chicago was just, I couldn't believe what I was watching because that's not how that team has played uh, under Jacques Vaughn. They were just, it's like they didn't show up. It's like they didn't care. And I realized that teams have every once in a while, you don't like it, but every once in a while, teams have games like that where they're just blown out early and it's not a factor. And it wasn't a factor for them. And they were, there's no communication on defense. They couldn't hit a shot. They couldn't do anything. It was just bad. So you're looking at that and you're wondering, okay, is this a trend? Is this something that you're going to see now? Is this something that uh, is going to go spiraling out of control? And once again, even though they lost today to Atlanta, who's got their own issues, all right, um, even though they lost today, at least it was a competitive game. Now, they were down 18. But they were able to come back and and get into, uh, you know, a game where they brought it, tied it up, and then, you know, uh, Trey Young wins it at the buzzer, and so um, you know this is this was the last game for the interim coach because the Hawks played let's make a deal with Quinn Snyder, you know, remember him formerly from Utah, so he is a five year deal for Snyder, so he will make his debut. He could make his debut as early as Tuesday against the Wizards, according to sources to our Woj at ESPN. So, you know, we'll we'll see what happens. And and it is going to be interesting to see how Quinn Snyder gets along with Trey Young. Because you're hearing more and more things around the league about how tough Trey Young is to deal with that for a head coach. And now there's two coaches that have been fired under his watch. And not that we're saying that it's all him. But folks who cover the league, folks who cover Atlanta, are saying that this is a situation where he has become kind of tough to deal with. And so, you know, once again, I have to yield to that. I'm not inside. I'm on the outside looking. But you just look at this Atlanta team, and they're, they've taken – I mean, let's face it, they've taken a step back from where they were after they uh, moved past the, the round against the Knicks two years ago. I mean, they're in the play-in. They're, they're battling for a play-in spot right now. And this was not, I mean, we were looking at, and he still is one of the great young talents in the NBA. There's no question about that. But we were looking at this Atlanta club as a team that might be around to do some damage for a couple of years. And they still may, but 
you know, disappointing last year, disappointing this year, only a game over 500 with the win today. And so we'll see what uh, Quinn Snyder can do over the remaining 21 games for them and, uh, and you know, try to get them into a – try to move them up into a playoff spot. But also, if they uh, right now they have a play-in spot. And, you know, listen, for one game in a play-in spot, you know, Trey Young could eliminate you real quick. <laughs> he can on a roll. He can eliminate you in no time. So, and, and galvanize that squad. But they just, they don't play defense the same that they did earlier uh, over the, in, in the, the playoff year and last year. They, they were a better team. They were a hungrier team. And they, they, just, they just don't show that now. I mean, they have length. They have a lot of size. But they just can't seem to, you know, get themselves on the same page that they did a couple seasons ago. And, and that's it's a surprise to me because I thought they were one of the up-and-coming teams. Uh, that was going on, but once again, for me as a Nick fan, I'm just I'm as a Nick fan, okay. Just uh, two percentage points behind the Nets for fifth place in the East. This is this is not what I was expecting from this team. You guys remember I was sitting here lamenting not that long ago about how this team uh, this team was a play in caliber team, right? That this team had a play in caliber roster and this team had to play in caliber uh play in caliber mentality and very simply all that has changed very simply that has all changed and you you give them respect you you give the nick front office a lot of respect because listen from the evan fournier move from the kimber walker move you were just kind of down on them. But signing Brunson, which they did, uh, the Donovan Mitchell, uh, you know, yeah, you would probably like to have him. It was, it was it was, yay and nay. They felt that, listen, it was too much to offer for him. And, but to get the another acquisition of Josh Hart uh, to supplement your bench play and to, as Jamie mentioned, and Gordon Damon mentioned it before he went on vacation, Josh Hart is a is a really Tom Thibodeau type player. He is he's hard nosed. He's gritty. He can hit the three. He can do a lot of things. He's strong defensively, which you know, which you know he loves. Tibbs loves. And so when you have that element, and you bring that to your team, and a guy with playoff experience, you know that helps you. That's the thing that helps you, and makes you deeper. And whenever you're deeper, and and you can get you know, production from a lot of different places, that is important. That's what you have to do, right? That's what you have to do. And so for right now, um, I'm encouraged. I'm really encouraged and looking forward to tomorrow night's game. I'm also looking forward to the baseball season with the Mets and Yankees and all the things going around. We got pitch clocks. We got bigger bases. We got stolen bases. We got a bunch of different things. Pat Ragazzo from SI will join me next on 98.7 ESPN. The Larry Hardesty Show on 98.7 ESPN.